Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's Chris from Lace Partners. Thank you very much once again for joining me. Uh, hopefully you uh, have enjoyed some of our previous podcasts that we've got because I've got a really interesting one for today and I wanted to bring in my guest. It's just myself and one other today, Nikki Eyre from, uh, from Conduct Change. Nikki, hello, how are you doing? Hi Chris, I'm good, thank you. Lovely to be here today. Yes, lovely and the sun's even shining as well so it makes it us is, all the yeah. more happy. So, Nikki, we're going to talk, interestingly, about your business, because I think what you guys do at Conduct Change is your organisation is very different uh, for the workplace, but also has quite a, a profound impact on the individuals that, that exist within workplaces. So I don't want to talk too much about it. I want to let you do most of the talking. So can you just give us a bit of an overview as to uh, Conduct Change and the work that you do and a little bit about your own story as well? Yeah, sure. Um, so the um, the birth of Conduct Change, if you like, it was created from my own workplace experiences. And I went through quite a difficult workplace bullying experience. And it was quite a long journey out of that. But actually through that process, I started to learn a great deal more about the reasons why that may have happened. And so when Conduct Change was set up, we have kind of three parts to the business. And those are from working with businesses to actually say, do you know what, if we want to prevent workplace bullying, what do we need to do? So very much looking at the training, the culture, the embedding those behaviours. And that's through consultancy and training. We also really want to see huge changes in the approaches and also the legislation because really what we've got in place at the moment, there are gaps, there are very ineffective processes. So we're very much about campaigning and influencing change in that area. But then what we also do is we subsidise programmes to support individuals who have perhaps had to leave their job because of workplace bullying and they're emotionally and financially uh, at a really difficult position, but that's when they need the support the most. So we actually choose as a business to support those ourselves, which is very much the, the heart-led and social purpose element of the business. Yeah. I think I think it's a really this is a really interesting topic and it's very interesting and pertinent right now because we've got a lot of people that have as we've been talking about on this podcast a lot of people that have they've turned to remote working and the environment that they've been in is very different because now they're working from home predominantly a lot of people are working from home predominantly and the situation of workplace bullying it takes on a different dynamic, doesn't it? And I guess I, I, my first question to you really is, what type of changes have you seen in terms of the work that you do? Because your business was set up in 2019, so it's, it's a pre-pandemic business. So what sort of changes and requests have you been having from your, your clients and how has that evolved? Yeah, I think that there's kind of different aspects to it. So there's very much the people who are concerned about the disconnection 
and how do they keep building those relationships through the pandemic and remote working, uh, which are the real positives. But then we also hear about, you know, the organisations where they're asking people to keep cameras on constantly under surveillance, micromanaging people, there's a lack of trust, a real disempowerment. There's also the situation with individuals who you may think that because they are not face to face with their bully anymore, that actually it should be easier for them. But actually, it's not necessarily, they may still have to go on screen with them. And that can actually be a lot more intense as well. But we've also got the position now with people coming back into the workplace. And so they could be having some really severe anxiety about going back and and having to meet people face to face again, Mm. where there is, you know, conflict in those relationships already. So it's very much a mixture between, um, you know, the the businesses who really actually want the the positive and, and really influential relationship building work doing and those who are just really concerned about the way their organisation is managing them. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, this is a HR podcast, HR on the offensive. And so we have HR, senior HR professionals, professionals of all types and within all levels within HR. And HR has a role, obviously, to play in the, the mediator in instances like this. So can you just talk to me a little bit about um, HR's role, we mentioned when we were just talking via email about HR getting caught in the crossfire and some of the challenges that HR teams are facing. Yeah, it, it is really interesting. And I think in every bullying situation, you know, the advice is always go to HR. And HR have a series of best practice, which are, you know, the, the grievance and disciplinary procedures. But actually, they're really quite ineffective in this kind of relational um, issue. And so what happens is people go to HR looking for support, but HR have to get caught in this position where they also have to protect the organisation and make sure that it doesn't escalate into a legal case. And what tends to happen is that the person who is feeling bullied their trauma, they're effectively getting traumatised by the process and they will actually turn their anger towards the people who are involved in the case. And so you constantly hear that HR are useless, they're no good at all, they're on the side of the employer. But actually, they're in a really, really difficult position. And what they're being asked to do is essentially manage behavioural issues that should be an organisational wide responsibility. And I think that is the crux of the matter here. And it's very much, it's really, really increasing in terms of people speaking up about the way they are being treated in the workplace. And it's not just an HR responsibility. It's just that it falls on the shoulders of HR because that's where people are told to go when they have a problem. So actually, let's look at preventing those problems instead of waiting until we've got them and then getting into these escalating processes. Yeah, and then I guess there's two things that popped into my head. The first is that phrase, it takes two to tango, but actually it takes more than that to tango, doesn't it, when you have these type of instances because you've got the employee being bullied, you've got the line manager themselves, and then there's a question over the capability and what support does the line manager 
need in order to ensure that they are removing those kind of behaviours. Then you've got the HR team that acts as the mediator, and then you've got the people within the business, within the senior business as well. So it feels like it takes about six to tango in terms of parties involved. It does. And then don't forget, you've got witnesses and bystanders. And actually, you can have vicarious trauma. So if there is a really, you know, bad case, then they can actually suffer just as much as the people involved. And one of the really important things is actually there should be a lot more support. The approaches need to be supportive. So, for example, if somebody came to me and said, we've got these two people who are in dispute, one's accusing the other of being a bully, then... I was don't go down the formal process route. Actually, the first thing we need to do is go in and potentially coach those parties because they both need support. And as an employer, you have a duty of care to both parties. And actually, the other side of that is actually making sure that managers are trained to support people with their behavioural responses and their behavioural needs, not just competency and skills-based performance. And that's an area where there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done, definitely. Certainly. And we talk about it. We talked about it in our HR on the Offensive podcast. And I know that Kathy Akratopolo, one of our co-founders, one of her particular soapboxes is line manager capability. And there's a big part of that, isn't there, which is around making sure that you're supporting your line managers so that they don't they, they are behaving and they, they are acting in a way that gets the best and most productivity out of the people and, and the people within the workplace and there's definitely a question there which often gets overlooked you i, I think about the word or the phrase workplace bullying and you just think either from an employee perspective or from a business perspective but there's a that capability perspective and how do we change the behaviours of those those line managers so that you don't get into this situation in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's some really clear things that we can do. I mean, first of all, the leaders need to be modelling the right behaviours. But what are the right behaviours? Have they actually sat down? Have you given the employees voice to say, these are the behaviours that we want and we need within our organisation? And that's really where it very much gets into the psychological safety as well. And really, if you have got the behaviours agreed and you are starting to practice and embed those behaviours, then that's um, a really important point. But that has to go on through the whole organisation because every individual's behaviour contributes to the culture of the organisation. And so... Everybody has a part to play, but leaders absolutely have to model the right behaviours in the, in the first place. But you have to agree what those are. And we have a, um, a, an approach that we're just rolling out at the moment where we've got something called the Conduct Change Charter. But we actually sit down, we'll kind of diagnose with people, right, where are you at? Because every company is going to start from a different place. But where are you at and how do people recognise what behaviours are expected of them? And how do you measure those? And how are those embedded into your, your practice, your policy, your systems, as well as your behaviours? Um, how, how does that all happen? How does it all come together? And actually then, if those behaviours aren't upheld, what's the accountability? How are you actually resolving those issues? And the more you can catch them, recognise them and catch them early, the better um, chance of resolution you've got. When you go into that next level, 
formal complaints, legal cases, then essentially what you're going into at that stage, you've got to go into recovery stage. Yeah. And that's not just recovery for the individuals who are involved. And that's everybody. You know, when we talked about all the bystanders and, and witnesses as well and the people's involved in the case, but also how's the business going to recover from that as well? What's the reputational impact as well as the, you know, the impact on productivity and profitability at that stage? So it's a kind of this circle of, we call it dynamic conduct change, where you are constantly actually reviewing your behaviours within the organisation and making sure that you uphold them because obviously people's behaviours change depending on the context, you know, the pandemic changed people's behaviours, some for the better, some for the worse. So, yeah, it's it's a, I, I get quite excited, right? it's a really exciting subject nice. for me because Good. it's, yeah, it's amazing just to be able to embed all of that into an organisation. Yeah, I think the key thing for me, and the question that I just wrote down as I was thinking, as you were talking there, was around how challenging it is to change a culture, because Obviously, you've got organizations of a certain size, of a certain age, of a certain mentality. And do you come across businesses where you look at them and think, this is going to be really tough to change who you are and, and what you do? And then conversely, do you come across businesses where you can see there there is an appetite for that? OK, we want to change our culture so that we eradicate this this kind of behavior yes yeah definitely so there are organizations where you perhaps have really entrenched behaviors that have been going on for years and years and they find it very difficult for start businesses don't like the word bullying so they don't want to recognize bullying but if you look at bullying as simply a collection of behaviors that has the potential to harm either an individual or an organization or both um, it's, it's a huge spectrum of behaviours and it's about that readiness to actually get involved in the process. But I think the really key thing is that there's no quick fix. Um, so if you get um, organisations where the behaviours have been entrenched and it's usually not just in their organisation, it might be across an entire sector as well. So they're having to kind of, even if they're changing internally, they're still meeting those other um, attitudes within the sector itself so perhaps from their clients because don't forget that bullying can happen externally as well mm -hmm. but then you get you know I mean one of the other sides that we've worked with is uh, it's a relatively new startup and what they've said is we want our culture to be one where people don't feel bullied and therefore we're having open conversations about it from the outset and, you know, they, they did a talk for us at our conference last year and they said, you think it'd be really easy because you're starting from scratch. But one of the things they talked about, and I love the phrase, is this culture hangover. So when people come from another organisation or, you know, they come into this one where they're trying to do things differently, be a bit disruptive in their sector. Um, people are like, oh, I, I don't really know how to do this. I don't know how to act this way. I don't know how to behave this way because I haven't ever you know actually experienced it for myself before so it's you know it's not always as easy as you think it's going to be just because a, an organization is very much on board with the idea of it which is where the, the practice the experiential learning comes into play yeah i do find that interesting the this idea of 
for startups and their ability to start from scratch. But ultimately, a startup doesn't matter what type of startup is. You have the personalities of the leaders within the business and they are impacted by their environment that has come before that, if you like. So it can it takes a lot of. You need to be, and it takes a lot of humility, I guess, doesn't it, to be able to to reset. Yeah, absolutely. Um, humility and uh, that ability to really stand up and be vulnerable, and say, do you know what? We make mistakes. We do things wrong as well. Um, but actually, we're all on this learning journey together. And I think with a startup, you perhaps have that ability to do that. To say, you know, we'll we'll learn this together, in perhaps a, the way a larger organisation doesn't. I was reading some information from a larger organ, well, from a sector recently, and although a lot of it was good and it felt well intentioned, there were still some real quite severe statements in there about there will be severe repercussions, and. That for me, it still has that climate of fear in there. And actually, when you have a climate of fear, then yes, it might drive people for a certain amount of time. But actually, people who are working under a level of fear have this level of cognitive impairment. And so essentially, you're never going to be able to sustain that level of competitiveness and performance that you're asking of them because you're not going to get the best from them in that mm. stage. That's interesting. Do you know what really interesting, you were just talking about the climate of fear, and what dawned on me is that, again, you, you talk about workplace bullying or you, you, you think about workplace bullying and you immediately think about kind of the harassment or the, the verbal side of it, but actually the way in which a business communicates the written word can have a massive impact on the culture, which then impacts you know this kind of environment, doesn't it? It does, yes. Um, so, yeah, there's there's definitely something in there in terms of the communications and actually also aligning the the messaging with the actions as well so if you are putting messages out saying this is what we're going to do but you're not actually doing it in practice then it all just falls flat on its face but yeah again it comes back to that you can put messages out so you know the good old value statement but unless you actually say, well, this is what it looks like in practice and give people some really concrete examples, then you're still at the point where everybody's just bringing their own interpretation in there. And so things won't change because they might look at it and go, well, I'm already doing that. I'm operating with honesty and integrity in my view. And actually, unless you have that collective agreement, then you can't really hold people against that, um, no. accountable to that, yeah. No, and also, I guess those businesses that, the word coming to my mind is transparency, those businesses that want to be more transparent, want to be able to say, look, we're not perfect, so we're, we're open to evolving. I think those type of businesses are the businesses that are more likely to be able to avoid these kind of uh, situations and you were talking about the the reactive sort of oh, when you know we've gone into this process where we've, we've, we've now got to go through a legal process because somebody has accused somebody is to avoid all of that by being transparent in the first place setting out to people okay what is the deal how do we act as a business what are our values how are we going to live by those values are we going to continuously reevaluate those and ask the rest of our business ask everybody in our business are we doing what we're saying we're doing and if you're that level of transparent I guess I'm hoping you're going to say that helps to mitigate 
any kind of uh, potential challenges that organisations will face? It does, absolutely. And one of the really key things is that when you kind of get to that level where people are really ready to own their mistakes, speak up about them, to learn from them, then they're actually the highest performing teams. That's when you've got the most innovative and the most competitive and sustainable business model. And so it's, it's really interesting because you can kind of look at this from, there are people who say we should make changes to behavior because it's the right thing to do. It's the moral argument. But, you know, not everybody can align with that they don't quite get on board with that but actually when you look at the benefits of it from a business perspective as well then surely it's a win-win for both businesses and individuals working in there and so yeah that transparency that um, you know that ability to stand up and go yeah do you know what we got that wrong but look at that amazing learning we got from it let's take that forward and, and not do it again is going to make it just a much better place to work. Yeah, I do feel like there has been a bit of a reawakening by lots of businesses of many sizes as a result of COVID that a lot of them have suddenly realised the power of the employee, but also the power of improving productivity by delivering the best environment for an employee. It feels like COVID, COVID has been a horrible thing. It's cost lives, it's meant that we're all cooped up at home. There's been psychological, mental well-being issues. But if we're going to take any potential positives out of it, from a corporate perspective, from what I feel like I've seen, it does. there's a lot of businesses that seem to be looking at not just like engagement and well-being, but it, it moves across everything. It's businesses are suddenly looking at diversity. They're looking at what are, they, what are we doing to make sure that our workplace is diverse? How are we ensuring that our people are looked after? And as you've just alluded to, not because, not just because we think it's something that people want to hear, it's because they're suddenly taking note that actually this could help our productivity. This could help, help us be more profitable uh, as a result of the actions that we take. It does feel like lots of businesses are waking up to that, doesn't it? Yeah, there's actually some tangible benefits that they're starting to mm -hmm. recognise, yeah, which is amazing. But I think the other thing is that while, you know, people have been online the whole time, people have been sharing stories a lot more openly yeah. and it's a lot easier for them to do that and so it's, it's sometimes difficult when you're working in this field to recognize whether it is just there are more stories coming out or whether it's just because you're you know seeing them on a day-to-day -day basis because you're so immersed in it but it definitely feels like there's a lot more people speaking up and saying that you know these bullying behaviors are no longer acceptable in the workplace and we want something to be done differently and we're all going to start standing up to it yeah. and i'm very much you know having been through it myself having done a lot of learning and a lot of studying in this area when you come through a bullying experience there's quite often a lot of anger that you're holding on to and a need for justice and you hear that in a lot of the stories that get shared online. But, you know, there's been 20, 25 years of research into this, and it's only just starting to shift and only just starting to really raise awareness uh, at the level that it needs to. But because of that, it's starting to send the message back into businesses. So you're hearing the word bullying more openly now than you were even a year ago, I think, most definitely. And, and that's where these changes start, when more and more people stand up and say, enough, <clears throat> excuse me, we want to do something different. 
No, and that's that's really positive. And I read a I've read an Economist article this week talking about the world of work, and it was talking about how people in the nineteen supposedly in the fifties and sixties that was where work and your enjoyment of work was at its peak. But this argue, uh, article talked about well actually we could be at a point where post pandemic it's actually it now is the time in which work could be workers could be could find themselves at their most satisfied because of the power that, that they have because of the flexibility that's about as a result of this but as we've just been talking about because of the recognition by businesses that actually this is there's a value in in focusing more on our, our people and certainly hr's role i feel like hr's role in the last year has been elevated we've had we've done lots of podcasts talking about that but it really feels like it's not just going to be a okay now we go back to normal again and hr can be the back office right in the corner of the, the room that just deals with the tactical or operational stuff side of things yeah and i think i think it's really interesting when you look at the hr role because i think it's changed so much over the last few years and there's a real most people who work in HR have gone into that because of the human element mm. and they don't want to just be you know rotating policies and, and putting people through procedures all the time they actually are interested in the human element and looking after the people and actually as that becomes a much more multidisciplinary approach then there's real opportunities for them to step up and lead in these areas and say this is exactly what you know we've been waiting for and take these opportunities so yeah absolutely we're we're definitely you know talking to hr directors who really want to see these changes helping them with actually getting the the boards on board with with yeah. these ideas as well so yeah, yeah fantastic huge well, opportunities. We're just coming towards the end of the podcast, but what I wanted you to do, because I know you mentioned the charter earlier, but if you can just talk us through a little bit more detail, I'm interested in finding out uh, on behalf of the listeners about the charter, what exactly it is, again, you talked about it earlier, but what it is in terms of, if I was to phone you up now and say, I've heard about this charter, tell me a little bit more about it, the timeframes it takes, what would you need from us in order to, to go through with this and the, what, what value do we get out of it? So if you can just talk just for a couple of minutes about, about the charter before we wrap up on today, today's podcast. Yeah, sure. So the, the charter is where we would basically come in and work with you as a, a critical friend, if you like. So what we're looking at is there's three different areas. So as I mentioned earlier, there's recognising. So part of that is a diagnosis session to look at where are you at? Because actually there's a huge amount of work that organisations are already doing around the prevention of workplace bullying or resolving it, but it's not really joined up. So we're going to help you with that joining up exercise. But we're also going to look at what are the agreed behaviours? How do we embed that and help you to embed it in your processes, systems, policies, all of those different areas, as well as in practice? One of the, the really key things is, you know, we have a toolkit that people can access. We've got training that people can access. It's not, there's no obligation to use our training through this process, but it's about helping organisations to really embed the model, working with a project owner and a multidisciplinary team within the organisation. One of the things that we're asking to do at the moment is that 
organizations will actually share some of their data with us for academic research as well, which will go on alongside this so that we can really look at what interventions work and what don't. And so help them to have that action plan where they start to weave them through. So working with organizations for at least 12 months initially and the potential to work longer with them should that be a requirement. Uh, so, but it's, it's, I'm very excited about it, but essentially the mm -hmm. charter itself is some wording, a commitment that we would ask for you to actually put out openly to say, we are committed to changing conduct in our organisation to help prevent workplace bullying and, and to help the organisation to grow. So, and the individuals. So, so that's kind of the really adds value to the employee experience as well and anybody looking to go work in that organization but essentially what we're doing is we're helping you embed new behaviors through the whole organization at a system and an individual level or, uh, for at least a year so so that is okay. our new charter at the moment so very excited about that and we have i say all sorts of training opportunities which is everything from emotional intelligence psychological safety right through to access to cyber security programs because actually that's what well, more remote working is absolute need to educate people in that area as well so lots of weaving everything through and and just really i think one of the other key things is that we would match people up from different organizations that so you get peer support as well because trying to push through a change program in an organization can be quite lonely at times and actually having that peer support as well is just an additional element to the programme. Okay, brilliant. So just as we wrap up then, do you want to tell good listeners to this podcast uh, where they can find you in terms of email or Twitter or website, you know, all of that fa fabulous stuff? Yep. So the website is conductchange.co.uk. My email address, if everyone wants to contact me directly, is Nikki N-I-C-K-I, at conduct change.co.uk i am on linkedin nikki air e-y-r-e -E. have to spell that for everybody and twitter is conduct underscore change as well they're they're where we hang out the most those are the, <laughs> hangouts. Those are the hangouts yes yeah. okay brilliant nikki once again it's been absolutely fabulous uh, having you on listening to your thoughts you can tell how much passion you have in this particular subject so it's really 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 lovely to hear but uh, if you would like to subscribe to this podcast we'd love you to subscribe maybe you're here just for a one-off but if you wanted to subscribe that would be great we're on itunes we are on our apple podcasts we are on spotify stitcher soundcloud and also tune in as well nikki thank you very much and we will see you again next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye-bye.